welcome to the Three Things Podcast. I'm Glenn Kubish, and thanks for dropping by my weekly collection of three mundane things from my little life left behind tracks of happiness and gratitude. Number one this week, tulips. Before I could even fire up my imagination's simile machine by asking what those tulips reminded me of. Sheila Kubish. Hello, dear. Hi. How are you? I'd like that idea. Okay, give it some thought. Bye. Let's restart. What was I recording before Sheila phoned in? Right. Tulips. Before I could even fire up my imagination's simile machine by asking what those tulips reminded me of, those tulips reminded me of Audrey Hepburn. The tulips were planted by a homeowner on a piece of public boulevard that I pedal by most mornings in Crestwood. They're lovely. The elegant shape and layering of the tulips' petals are matched only by the sophisticated chiffon turbans Givenchy crowned Hepburn with. If you should have any difficulty recognizing your daughter, I should be the most sophisticated woman at the Glen Cove station. I was still pedaling and thinking about the tulips and Hepburn and how Sheila likes tulips and looks like Hepburn when I got to the 142nd Street service road where there's a house not long for this world. A new owner has bought it. Its long-ago Arbor Day trees in the front yard have been razored into stumps. A sign foretells of the house's demolition. An elderly woman once lived there, and some mornings a caregiver would visit her. That's all I really know about her, except that each spring she placed a handful of miniature plastic dinosaurs in a patch of sand at the front of the property, like a little movie set. I called it Valley View of the Dinosaurs. Jurassic Park View would have been earlier in the series. I still look down for the little giants as I cruise by, but they've vanished. Quackgrass has moved in. Soon the sandbox itself will be dug up and sown with lawn or scattered with rocks and forgotten. The display made for a bit of secret joy, not available to the motorists. I had intended to, but never did thank the woman who lived there. To plant a garden or to place a pack of plastic dinosaurs is to believe in tomorrow. When I see the tulip people, I'll say thanks. Number two, infidelity. In the TV news business, it's called fidelity. The practice of ensuring that the words you write and the words the audience hears match the pictures you use and the audience sees. Right to the pictures was the mantra. Right. To the pictures. The great CFRN news director Steve Hogel would say. Build upon the video. Reinforce the video. Write to the pictures. If you have video of a deer bounding through the bush near Mayfair Park, don't write that the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra calls the Windspear Centre home. If you are reporting that the military is now helping the fire relief effort in Drayton Valley, show people in uniform arriving in Drayton Valley. Establish a faithfulness between what is heard and what is seen. Like good grammar, in writing, it's easier to keep the viewer with you when things flow. The discipline also builds trust when the reporter's account is backed up by the pictures the reporter uses. Now, to some degree, it's a kind of verification, a practice to persuade the age-old skeptics, bless their non-credulous hearts, for whom being told is not good enough. Show me, they insist. Now, what is shown, of course, can be subject to all kinds of manipulation, as Dylan warns us. When I was in Missouri... They would not let me be, he sings. I had to leave that in a hurry. I only saw what they let me see. 
still, it's a valuable internal resource, a kind of portable polygraph of perception to ask yourself when you're being asked to accept a claim, do the pictures match the words? When they don't, it might be because you're not getting the whole story. Like in the drug ads on US cable TV, if the pictures show a smiling person walking in slow motion on a pier set on a placid lake, but the words from the announcer tell you the drug might cause side effects from thrush to bleeding ulcers, then stop. There might be more to the story. The health claims of the drug might be alloyed with other facts for the consumer to weigh. Similarly, for the citizen, when CNN invades against a former president as a clear and present threat to the democracy of the country, and then gifts this former president a live primetime town hall meeting, it might feel like what you hear doesn't jibe with what you see. This infidelity registered with New York Times columnist Ross Delphet, who wrote, Democracy is in danger, and tune in tonight for an hour with the demagogue. Again, there might be more to the story. One old explanation is that the news media is a business, and it cannot continuously anger those for whom it pays best to reach through their commercials. That's what Walter Lippmann thought a century ago, and... Suddenly, I'm sinking in the deep end of theory. I track these thoughts only as a reminder to trust the tiny voices of doubt and follow them below the surface when things feel out of joint. Number three, chalk. One of the most dramatic transformations in nature is the metamorphosis of a grass field into a soccer pitch. This was the work underway as I pedaled by the Victoria Soccer Club on 142nd Street one afternoon last week. A groundskeeper wheeled a chalking machine across the grass, framing the top of the penalty area with a thick white line. He worked slowly. He worked alone. I imagine the scene from a plane overhead looking down on a contrail line on the earth. Look out, that ball stay again, and Davies is on Last year in Toronto, you remember, in a World Cup qualifier against Panama, Alfonso Davies sprinted 40 yards to catch up to a loose ball that looked like it would roll over the right wing touchline. In an exquisite display of grace and balance and timing, he saved the ball from going out of play, separated it from the Panama defender, and raced away with it. On the plate, he scored what turned out to be the winning goal, but that's not the item. It's not the whole item. What he did was marvelous, but it was marvelous in part because he did it in a tight space. He acquired a kind of immortality dribbling through the eye of a needle. The thought of being hanged in a fortnight concentrates the mind wonderfully, Samuel Johnson is said to have said, the lesson being that creativity might need some confinement. It might need not enough money, not enough time, and it might actually need not enough space. Playing outside the lines is fun, and it's vital, especially if those lines are arbitrary. Playing inside the lines can be just as memorable. Indeed, we need the lines. We also need those artists who were the first to chalk the lines. Thanks for being out there, friends. See you next time.